Very good. Okay, so uh, the Parsha today is Vayishlach, which is Genesis chapter 32, verse 4 until chapter, it's a long Parsha, like so many of them are here, all the way to the end of chapter 36. And let's say a blessing for Torah study, and then I'll hone in on what I wanted to look at with you today. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav, v'tzivanu la'asok v'divrei Torah. Amen. Blessed are you, source of life, our God, who makes us holy with your commandments, as had instructed us to engage in the words of Torah. Okay, so the most famous passage is the opening chapter of Vayishlach, where Jacob has to confront Esau. And um, we'll be talking more about this on Shabbat. And it's where Esau, where Jacob receives a new name after spending all night wrestling, wrestling with the mysterious being who won't give, who won't give a name, but who names Jacob Israel. And Jacob emerges into this new identity and meets Esau. And Jacob's on the move, this whole Parsha, because then he settles um, in the city of Shechem. And there, there's the very um, disturbing episode of Dina, um, the rape of Dina, the revenge of the brothers. Another subject which we could obviously study in great depth. And then in chapter 35, God says, now Jacob, leave Shechem and go to a place called Bethel, Bethel, which we talked about last time, the place where he had his dream about um, the ladder going up to heaven. And so he travels with his entourage and his whole household and family to Bethel, where there's a reiteration of his name, Israel. God says, your name is Israel. And so it's kind of a, another story about how Israel got his name. And then there's a passage at the end of that journey. They are now, he anoints um, a monument at Bethel. And now it's time to move on again. And they head back south, where they're ultimately going to get to Hebron. Um, and here is where I want to focus today. It's when Rachel dies in childbirth. Um, and uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, Yaakov and the Beanstalk, Yaakov and the Ladder. Okay. Um, they, um, so I'm going to share my screen and I'm going to put the text up that we're going to be looking at uh, from the Parsha. There we go. I trust everyone can see it. Good, good. Uh, let's see, is there a way for me to see the chat while I'm screen sharing? Yeah, there it is. Give me a mo another moment to reorganize my, um, my, there we go. Okay, now I can see everything. And I'm getting better at this. Okay, so here's the passage. ויסעומי בית אל, ויהי עוד כברת הארץ לבוא אפרתה, ותלד רחל ותיקש בלידתה. So they set out from Bethel, but when they were still some distance short of אפרת, Rachel was in childbirth, and she had a very difficult labor. ויהי בהקושתה בלידתה, ותאמר לה המיילדת, and when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, have no fear, for it is another boy for you. But as she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named him Ben-Oni, 
but his father called him Benjamin, Binyamin. Ben-Oni, everybody, probably means the child of my uh, pain or my suffering. And Binyamin probably means, Yamin is your right arm, you're the, the, the son of my strength. So uh, that probably is what's going on there. But Tamot Rochel, thus Rachel died. And she was buried on the road to Ephrat, which is also known as Bethlehem. Over her grave, Jacob set up a monument. And it is the monument at Rachel's grave to this Kever Rachel, the grave of Rachel. Um, so Rachel dies on the way. She doesn't, whereas Abraham and, and some of you know this already, but I'll make sure, I want to make sure that, uh, oh, Ellen, what have you got there? I don't know where to put it. <laughs> uh, hold on. Um, let me see if I can spotlight you so that everyone can. That means I have to stop share for a second. There we go. And uh, there. Oh, okay. What kind of medium is that? Is it watercolor? Or it's a painting? Yeah, it's. Um... I'm sorry. I'm forgetting everything. Oh, that's okay. But uh, that's good. That's that is an uh, a rendition of the tomb of Rachel, yeah. which is on the road between Jerusalem and Bethlehem to this day. When I first went to Israel, and all through the eighties, um, ah, okay. So let me. So we'll talk geography a little bit. On the road from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which is not very far. <laughs> it's two miles at most. Um, uh, on your right, there is an old structure, a dome structure like Ellen showed you, which is the traditional tomb of Rachel and a pilgrimage spot for Jews for centuries. Um, Ephrat and Beth Bethlehem seem to be synonyms. Um, it's not, it, since that's what the Torah says, there's a place called Ephrat, or is it also called Bethlehem? In modern Israel, near Bethlehem is the modern Jewish uh, town of Ephrat, uh, because, and, and nobody knows the actual exact location of these or why Ephrat is called. Oh, here, let me uh, come back to me. Um, Uh, are you all seeing me? I need to cancel the spotlight there on Ellen and blah, blah, blah. Uh, there, now you can probably see me. Okay, I'm not usually the host, but there we go. Um, and um, uh, it was right there by the road. Whereas Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Leah are all traditionally buried in the Ma'arat HaMachpelah, in the cave uh, that's down at Hebron. Rachel's tomb of all the patriarchs and matriarchs is by the side of the road. And so there's a tradition that emerges a long time ago, that Rachel is more available to us than any of the other patriarchs and matriarchs. Now, if you go to the tomb of Rachel today, you see what's basically a political tragedy because it is surrounded, I mean, it's a tragedy and it's an, it's, it's an absurdity because that little structure is now actually surrounded by a giant concrete building. 
because it's on this side of the line and and so you have to go through checkpoints and it's it's you i don't know have the right adjectives for how how both tragic and ridiculous and absurd it is to go visit the tomb of rachel today how difficult it is how it's just so i haven't been there in many many years um and uh it's a sadness it's a big sadness um enough said enough said except to say that uh i hope there's a time like when i lived in jerusalem in 1983-84 when i could ride my bike from jerusalem to bethlehem may it happen again i went there i bought a wicker bookcase i tied it to the back of my bicycle and i biked back to my apartment so i hope that day comes again somehow can i share this <laughs> sure I, i was uh okay. i was just there at the wall around Rachel's tomb in March uh and my friend Claire who is a Palestinian Christian had her family has had a shop right along the wall for many many years and uh the wall is now surrounds her family's house right and um Anyway, I bought a whole bunch of these. I don't know if you could see it. It says make hummus, oops, not walls. I bought this in Claire's shop. That's fantastic. And um and in you know the encounter which has roots at WJC through Rabbi Miriam, uh that is who first brought me to Claire's house and I've since then brought numbers of people there over the years. um and and I also went there with a group of um my very religious Jewish women friends to pray for healing and um you know yeah so enough said <laughs> yes yes enough said lloyd coined a good term here in the chat tragiculous that's some merger of tragic tragic and ridiculous tragiculous I'll take it Lloyd thank you. Lloyd also mentions that Efrat has a great had a great burger place it still does. Um Now Robert is uh uh um getting to where we're going which is that Rachel was placed in that spot so when the Jews were exiled to Babylon the Jewish people would pass by her grave. Not necessarily that's why she was placed there but that's where we're going. in this conversation. Um well it caught on with me like I I already like it because it describes our situation so well. Tragic and ridiculous. Uh describes most of us pretty well too. Okay. So what I want to talk about is what Rachel has come to represent. in Jewish thought and imagination since that time. And first of all, I want to share with you just how ancient this tradition of Rachel's tomb is. Because in the book of Samuel, which is describing the events in the life of Saul, King Saul right now, even before King David. It says um uh Samuel took a flask of oil and poured some of it on Saul's head and anointed him and kissed him and said God herewith anoints you ruler over his own people. This is Saul, if you don't know the Jewish history of Saul, we're talking 10th century BC, long, long time ago. And so Samuel says, when you leave me today, you will meet two men near the tomb of Rachel in the territory of Benjamin at Zeltzah. and they will tell you blah 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 blah. Okay, so even in the book of Samuel, the tomb of Rachel is a known place. And of course, it's located in the land of Benjamin. In fact, if you're an archaeologist, that's not where the tomb of Rachel is today. So, the actual it says they were on the way to Ephrat, 
but the tradition of where exactly that spot is, you know, the, 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 the picture that Ellen Weaver showed us is of a building perhaps built in the 1600s or something like that, not something built a thousand BCE. So the truth is like most graves that are pilgrimage sites, ancient graves, it's not necessarily the actual site. Um, but the fact that the tomb of Rachel is mentioned even in the Bible after the five books of Moses gives you a sense of how central it is in, in, in um, the Jewish story. So why is it so central? Now we'll get to what Robert was saying. Because, and I'm gonna share my screen again, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is witnessing the exile to Babylonia. Um, and um, the year is 586 BCE. And so Jeremiah writes, I'm sharing my screen again. Thus said the Lord, a cry is heard in Ramah, wailing, bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children who are gone. So because Rachel is buried by the side of the road, and by the way, the road to Babylon would have been on the north side of Jerusalem. So I don't know if this is, as I say, the story in Samuel, where the territory of Benjamin is just to the north of Jerusalem, may be more accurate than where the, where the pilgrimage site is today. But again, enough, enough about that. Because Rachel is buried by the side of the road, she sees the exiles and she weeps. And Jeremiah goes on, thus said the Lord, restrain your voice from weeping, your eyes from shedding tears. For there is a reward for your labor, declares the Lord. They shall return from the enemy's land. And there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children shall return to their country. So in Jeremiah's poetry, Mother Rachel is weeping for her children and refuses to be comforted as they sit as the city empties and they're gone. And God comforts her and says, stop crying. It's going to be okay. They will return. There is hope. Your children will return. This is a very famous passage from Jeremiah that identifies Rachel as the one who weeps for her children. Okay, so keep that in mind. Is that beautiful? I think it's a beautiful passage. And we move to the era of the Talmud. So now many centuries later, after Jeremiah, the, um, this concept of the Shekhinah, Shekhinah, which we think of these days as the feminine presence of God, the motherly presence. Shekhinah literally means the one who dwells with us. That's what it means. The, a shechen is a neighbor. And, and a mishkan is the place where God's presence dwells. So the shechinah is understood in Jewish thought, not in the Bible itself, but in post-biblical Jewish thought. The shechinah is named and understood to be that aspect of God that is with us. Now, if we're gonna talk about um, this time, you, you know that um, uh, uh, this is a little aside, Isaiah names uh, one, uh, a child who's going to be um, born as Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God is with us. And so the early Jewish Christians, same era as the Talmud, identify Jesus as the masculine aspect of this, God is with us. 
Let's see Roni's question. Let's see what Roni said. I can see the allegory of Rachel weeping for her children, but not of her dying in childbirth. So little concern for the feminine. And what happened to motherless Benjamin? Please explain the metaphor of this. Mm. Okay, so Benjamin is raised by his family and becomes one of the tribes, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, Isaac, I mean, Jacob, who loved Rachel is inconsolable for a long time about his beloved Rachel's um, passing. Um, but Roni, with, with, with respect, I, I want to keep tracking this thought. So we'll have to cover it another time, okay? Thank you. Um, now, um, so the Shekhinah, is the motherly felt presence of the divine, that aspect. And because Shekhinah is also a feminine Hebrew word, and there's this element of mother earth, father sky at work here, you know, so Shekhinah develops a feminine, um, uh, character. And uh, so in the Talmud, it says, so the Shekhinah is the aspect of God that goes with us when we are lost, when we are exiled, that journeys with us and that weeps with us and that feels our pain. That aspect of God is called the Shekhinah. So the Talmud says, Every place to which Israel were exiled, the Shekhinah went with them. They were exiled to Egypt, and the Shekhinah was with them, as it says. I revealed myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt. Don't worry about the proof texts right now, because I'm going to be skipping over them. They were exiled to Babylon, and the Shekhinah was with them, as it says. For your sake, I was sent to Babylon. And when they will be redeemed in the future, the Shekhinah will be with them. As it says, then yud your God will return with your captivity. Okay. So by the Middle Ages, especially in Jewish mystical, particularly in Jewish mystical uh, teachings, the Shekhinah, has become a crucial, central personality aspect of the divine. The Shekhinah is associated in Jewish mysticism with that aspect of God that is closest to us. If you ever looked, if you know, or if you ever looked at the, um, um, at the, uh, graphic of the Kabbalistic tree of life. It's usually composed from top to bottom. And um, what one sees is that at the top is the infinite unknowable essence of the divine. And then as God's energy becomes more and more available to human apprehension, its most available aspect is known as Malchut, which means the kingdom, or Shekhinah, which means the indwelling presence. So it's that, it's that classic uh, binary of God imminent versus God transcendent. Transcendent is when you look at the stars and you gape, you know, and imminent is when you feel that love in your heart, right? Uh, imminent is within, transcendent is beyond. Uh, all of them are God consciousness, aspects of God consciousness. And the Shekhinah is the one that's felt with us in our exile. By the 16th century, exile was not just a political or physical um, idea in Judaism, but also an existential 
and spiritual idea. When we feel exiled from God, the Shekhinah is actually with us still and will bring us back from our exile. So wherever we go, it's mother love, right? The best kind, the kind that is going to, um, I may have said this the other week, um, what's the children's book where the bunnies uh, runs away and the mom says, uh, uh, wherever you go, I'm gonna find you. The runaway bunny. Yeah, the runaway bunny, thank you. So in the, read the runaway bunny. I think that's the Shechina, right? No matter where you go, I'm gonna come. I'll turn myself into a sailboat. I'll do anything I need to so that I can be with you and so that you won't be alone. That's the Shechina. And so what I wanna explain is that the Shechina gets combined with Mother Rachel in the mystical and Jewish spiritual imagination. Because who is it in Jeremiah that's by the road as we walk by weeping? It's Rachel. So Rachel, from her, from the, from the character in the Torah, in this week's Torah portion, becomes mythicized and becomes a symbolic presence as the one who is with us, the Shekhinah herself. Moshe Cordovero, who's a very famous mystic in Northern Israel in the 16th century writes, for Shekhinah is the one who is expelled and moves with us, ascending with us and descending with us, redeemed with us, and exiled with us. She is the one united with us always, never separated from us under any circumstance. She dwells with us. Our deeds cause her union or separation or mercy. Um, Roni says many philosophers today believe that the feminine as spiritual and political is what will save our civilization. I totally understand what you're talking about, Roni. There's a rebalance, there's a crucial rebalancing that humanity has to accomplish or else we are because the linear conquest mentality um, is uh, led us, leading us to probable, some kind of probable doom. Um, okay. Roberta asks, is Shina associated with the angels going up and down the ladder? Uh, not in the midrashim I've wrote, I've I've written, uh, read. <laughs> um, uh, I haven't seen that connection, Roberta. Those angels are uh, contemplated differently um, in the in the midrash. However, um, there is a midrash yet to be written, so we'll see what happens. Okay, so now I want to go on because. Take this idea of Rachel Shekhinah as the mother who goes with us into exile. As Lloyd says, the concept of the Shekhinah is so comforting. In Jewish, again, mystical and poetic thought, it's, yes, it's the divine mother. It's the one who embraces us, who enfolds us who is there for us, who hears our tears. That is the, that aspect of the divine. So now I wanna share with you something from the year 1908. This is now we're getting into the 20th century. Oh, by the way, I wanna thank my teacher, Malila Helner for showing me all these beautiful sources. Um, Hillel Zeitlin, an amazing character important character in uh, um, modern Jewish thought. He was raised in as a Hasidic scholar in the late 19th century, like so many others, he left his religious, um, and as a myth, he was a, he was a mystical, he was a mystic, but he abandoned re his religious um, orientation 
and studied secular studies and entered the world. And, but he always was writing across those boundaries, trying to translate Jewish spiritual concepts to um, uh, secular modern audiences. He was, he's been, uh, had been much forgotten, but his writings are gaining a uh, uh, revival at these times. He lived from 1879 to 1942 and was murdered by the Nazis. Um, in 1905, there was the worst pogrom yet called the Kishinev massacres. It transformed Jewish consciousness around the world. It was one of the keys to, to Zionism's upsurge in the early part of the 20th century. It sent countless Jews uh, out of Eastern Europe and towards United States and South Africa and England and France. It was a it was an incredible calamity, um, uh, unbelievable in its brutality. So, people like Chaim Nachman Bialik were transformed by it, uh, uh, and Hillel Zeitlin is writing a meditation on the Shechina in the wake of these massacres. Okay, so now think about, now we're talking sort of Jewish, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Jewish literary and, 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 and culture. And we have, for, in the first place, we have Jeremiah in the year 586 BCE, talking about Rachel, mother Rachel weeping for her children. And there also being a message of hope. And that is the template that even in the 20th century, Hillel Zeitlin is drawing on, now layered on with many centuries of um, teachings about the Shechina and the Shechina's presence in our lives. So let me read Zeitlin. The Shechina is the mother of all of creation, the mother of the lower world especially, the mother of all the children of Israel, the mother of every individual, a loving, compassionate, comforting mother, a savior, redeemer. In the language of the Kabbalists, don't get too caught up in this, everybody, because we won't have time to unpack it. Supernal mother is Bina. Lower mother is Malchut, the kingdom. Knesset Yisrael, assembly of Israel, the lady, the matron, the beautiful maiden, the doe of the dawn, Rachel, daughter, higher earth, wisdom of Solomon, speaking and speech, and more like these. All of these are metaphors uh, that the Jewish mysticism uses, but we, the last of the last, orphans amongst orphans, children of unprecedented suffering, children of misfortunes of a magnitude that even a people all too familiar with pain has never previously known. Firebrands salvaged from slaughters and pogroms, we who thirst and yearn for redemption and only for redemption. Such poignant language, especially when 30 years hence, it's gonna get so much worse. You know, we forget that we, forget that we are the recent heirs of a, an incomprehensible tragedy and cruelty. We let go of Bina and the wisdom of Solomon in speech and leadership in our eyes. We are letting go of all the metaphors and search, our eyes seek and search for the mother, for Rachel weeping for her children, for the doe of the dawn, the beautiful maiden who beseeches on our behalf and on behalf of the entire world, who brings redemption to us and to all those who are oppressed. So by the early, late 19th, early 20th century, in the language of modernity, Zeitlin invokes Mother Rachel, not just for all, not just for the Jews, but all who are oppressed, right? In the, in the language of modern universality. Oh, it's a beautiful and painful passage. Um, oh, I want to read what Pauline wrote in. I think about the name Rachel comes from the reaches of El. <laughs> I mean, the Rechem of El, 
the womb of God. Yes, as uh, Ellen says, that's a beautiful creative reading. Rachel means a you, E-W-E. Rachel is a, is, a, is a you, but it could also be, take it, Rechem El, the womb of God. If Jacob is Yisrael, then Rachel can be Rechem El. Thank you. Um, so now, do you see what Karen Levina said? The Statue of Liberty as Mother Rachel welcoming the refugees? Emma Lazarus. Emma Lazarus was born in 1849. She was the daughter of a Sephardic family that had escaped the inquisitions in Portugal uh, and come to the US in the 1700s. And so she's from a wealthy, educated family. She um, uh, knows no want here in, in New York. And, um, but in 1881, after the terrible pogroms in Eastern Europe and Russia, especially that initiated the um, giant exile of Jews from Eastern Europe towards the United States, her consciousness gets raised as she sees these countless impoverished, starving refugees coming um, into this country. And she becomes passionate about her Judaism. Not that she wasn't aware of it before, but this becomes the, fo uh, uh, the focus of her attention. One of her books, one of her books of poetry was called, uh, Mm, poems of a Semite or something along those lines, which was how she would have referred to herself at that time. Um, yes, this poem, we're going to talk about this poem. Deborah Berger said, it makes me think of how Otto Frank spent energy in the camp caring for the children without parents. He was channeling the Shekhinah. Thank you. Thank you. Traveling with us into our suffering and exile, right? So the Statue of Liberty in its original concept from, as a gift from France was not actually what, we what it came to be understood as. It, it was um, uh, a symbol of, of, of liberty and republicanism. Um, it wasn't a, a symbol of a welcoming exiles, uh, not in its original formulation. But Emma Lazarus was persuaded to write this sonnet and submit it as part of fundraising for the base of the statue. And uh, she wrote this sonnet. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea washed sunset gates, shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name, mother of exile. I'll go on, but so Emma Lazarus named the statue, the woman, mother of exile. And I cannot help but think that that's mother Rachel beckoning, welcoming, lighting our way. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that Twin Cities frame. And by the way, those Twin Cities, Brooklyn and New York. Um, Brooklyn wasn't made part of Metropolitan New York until 1905. So we're talking about the air-bridged harbor that Brooklyn and New York frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless, 
tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. As you know, the sonnet proved so popular that it was embedded in the base of the statue and came to represent, came to define, I should say, what the statue stands for. And why I wanted to take you on this journey was to show you the Jewish roots of it. Mother of exiles, mother of exiles. Maybe it's no accident that Jews were calling uh, the Golden of Medina, the United States, sort of the new promised land. Uh, maybe it was they felt like they were finally home, many of them, wherever that home would be. Because exile, exile, the idea in 1881 that the only return from exile would be back to the land of Israel was a kind of historical fantasy at that point. Zionism was in its utter infancy. Um, only later would we come to think that we could actually return, actually go to the road to Bethlehem, actually visit Rachel's tomb. But here, Emma Lazarus universalizes, just the way Hillel Zeitlin does in his reading, what the Shekhinah is. The Shekhinah is the mother of all creation, the mother of the lower world especially, the mother of all the children of Israel, the mother of every individual, a loving, compassionate, comforting mother, a savior, a redeemer, who brings redemption to us and to all those who are oppressed. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. So did you know that the Statue of Liberty was actually the Shekhinah? Let me just stop there for a second. That's my teaching today. The from mother of exiles in Jeremiah to mother of exiles in the imagination of a 19th century American Jewish poet. I mean, I know how much I'm moved by the Statue of Liberty because of all the stories of people seeing it for the first time and feeling like perhaps they could be free. Perhaps they'd come to a place where they wouldn't be hounded, destroyed, exiled, crushed. But for me as a Jew to know that that the term mother of exiles was coined by a Jewish poet with what appear to me to be clear connections to the Jewish mindset and lore and mythology makes it all the more powerful for me. I think I wanna share with you. Oh, Roberta says, I wish I had known this to tell my father, born in Brooklyn, he always pointed out Jewish connections all around us. Uh, at the end of your Dvar Torah, please tell me if Rachel's grave was moved from the north of Jerusalem to the south of Jerusalem. Robert, that's a good question. What I was saying is that most ancient graves, we don't actually know their site. And shrines are set up in different places. Some ancient, they're actually competing graves for ancient figures uh, because they become pilgrimage sites. So all I was saying is that based on what we hear in the book of Samuel's, Rachel's tomb was 
probably in the north of Jerusalem because that's where the tribe of Benjamin lived and Benjamin was her, his, her son. But that is lost in the mists of history. And all we know is that there is a shrine south of Jerusalem that became accepted as Rachel's tomb. But no facts about that, just uh, that speculation. As Lloyd said, who knew? And cenotaphs. And Pauline Tamari says, I think about how as Jews, we are always welcoming the stranger or the immigrant. Organizations like Highest have always been around. Um, this is the Jewish kind set. I think Pauline meant to say mindset, but this is a perfect Freudian slip. Perfect. Sylvia said, I came to the US via boat at nine months old and ended up in Brooklyn. Sylvia, uh, were you born in a DP, DP camp? Yes. Uh-huh, and you came in through New York Harbor. Similar to the church in Bethlehem, moved Jesus' birthplace from north to south. True, also. Hyas helped Sylvia's family. Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society was founded about the same time as um, Emma Lazarus was writing that uh, sonnet. And of course, the Torah is, if there's a theme song to the Torah, it's how you're supposed to treat the foreigner, the stranger, the impoverished, the slave, the powerless. It's the DNA of Judaism. Yes, uh, highest long ago now expanded its mission to help all immigrants. It doesn't just help Jewish immigrants now, even though it was founded specifically as a Jewish aid, it's been for, many decades now been helping all immigrants in this country, it's a great organization. So we have the Shechina right in New York Harbor, everybody. It's again, it, for me, it's one of those places where American values and Jewish values merge. And uh, I think of it that way. You know, I'd like to share one more poem with you. Um, by Emma Lazarus. Since I mentioned her, she wrote a bunch of poems about Hanukkah. So since Hanukkah is coming next week, let me share the screen again and we'll share one more Emma Lazarus poem because it's really, it really is connected um, to this, here we go. So it's old fashioned, but I'm gonna read it to you. I think it's, I, I really like it. The banner of the Jew. Wake, Israel, wake. Recall today the glorious Maccabean rage. The sire heroic, hoary gray, his fivefold lion lineage. The wise, the elect, the help of God. The burst of spring, the avenging rod. From Mitzpah's mountain ridge they saw Jerusalem's empty streets, her shrine. Laid waste where Greeks profaned the law with idol and with pagan signs. Mourners in tattered black were there with ashes sprinkled on their hair. Then from the stony peak there rang a blast to ope the graves. Down poured the Maccabean clan who sang their battle anthem to the Lord. Five heroes led and following sea, 10,000 rush to victory. Oh, for Jerusalem's trumpet now to blow a blast. Oh, oh, for Jerusalem's trumpet now to blow a blast of shattering power, to wake the sleepers high and low and rouse them to this urgent hour. No hand for vengeance, but to save a million naked swords should wave. Oh, deem not dead that martial fire, say not the mystic flame is spent. With Moses' law and David's lyre, your ancient strength remains unbent. Let but an Ezra rise in you to lift the banner of the Jew, a rag, a mock at first, ere long, when men have bled and women wept to guard its precious folds from wrong, even they who shrunk, even they who slept shall leap to bless it and to save, strike for the brave, revere the brave. Could you follow that? I had to read it a couple of times. It's about, hey, the Maccabees did it, it's time for us to rise up, not for vengeance, but to save 
all of these huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Deem not dead that martial fire, say not the mystic flame is spent. With Moses' law and David's lyre, your ancient strength remains unbent. Let but an Ezra rise in you to lift the banner of the Jew. So I wanted to, since I was looking at Emma Lazarus, I, I wanted to share her Hanukkah poem. <sighs> Roberta says, just taking that to this day, over all the obstacles, New York City remains one of the most welcoming places globally to immigrants. Blessed Shechina. Thank you, Roberta. That's a beautiful way of saying it. Pauline would like me to send out those readings. I have it all in one sheet. Um, let's see. Karen, can I put it in the, how do I do that, Karen? Uh, yeah, we could put it on the page, you know, when we, when I post the replay. I'll oh, thank you. So it'll be on the website when we post the recording of the class, all these materials will be right there. So just uh, email it to me and I'll, I'll put it up later. Great. Thank you. And Ellen is, oh, oh, Roni asked, and thank you for answering, Ellen. Who is the Ezra that is supposed to rise in us? Uh, no apologies necessary, Roni. Ezra was the leader of the Jews when they came back from the Babylonian exile. Precisely, which brings us back to Jeremiah's quote. So I'll close with that. I'm gonna share it again and close with Jeremiah's quote. Thus said the Lord, a cry is heard in Ramah, wailing, bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children who are gone. Thus said the Lord, restrain your voice from weeping, your eyes from shedding tears, for there is a reward for your labor, declares the Lord. They shall return from the enemy's land. And there is hope for your future. Tikva, many of us will know that word, tikva, hope. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children shall return to their country. And Ezra was that figure in, in uh, the fifth century BCE. And we're still here. Thank God. Okay, everybody, I'm gonna... <laughs>